last month. It's just an amazing thing, and it's a good experience, and, and, and you get to share in some of that as we, as we eat here in just a few moments, so we wish that you would stick around with us and, 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 and eat with us over there. Um, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, at the end of that chapter is where we're going to be this morning. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and I will only do it with this word. I'm going to teach you a Greek word that I want you to say with me. This is not trying to show off any kind of wisdom, because I have very little of that to show, but it's the word splachna. That C-H is like a German K. <laughs> splachna. You will, if you properly say this, spit on your neighbor, so be careful. Let's say it together. You ready? Splachna. So you know Greek. When somebody says, you know Greek? Yes, I know splachna. Splachna is a word that means bowels. And you're thinking, why would we want to learn a Greek word that means bowels? That's a very good question. I'm glad you asked. I want you to look at with me Philippians chapter 2. It's on the screen. It's, this is in the King James Version, which I'm not, I'm not real great with that old English, right? I'm barely good with the Greek, but I, I want you to notice this. This is King James. I memorized a lot of King James, and that's where I memorized Philippians 2. But if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies... Fulfill my joy and be like-minded. How many of you have bowels? Then you should be like-minded. You should think like me if you have bowels. That's weird, isn't it? Isn't that a weird, weird translation, Philippians 2? What it means and what the Greeks would do is they associated emotions with the body parts that are most often affected by them. And so they would use idioms or they would use body parts to express emotion. Like when I saw my wife for the first time in her Burger King uniform... I would go up to her if I were Greek, and I'd say, babe, you make my liver quiver. That's what I would say, right? <laughs> Something like that. Now, if I'm, really, if I'm angry at my brother, if my, my sibling made me mad, I'd just, I'm just furious, and I'd say, you're going to make my bladder splatter, right? Or something like that. There were others like, for instance, if you had evil eye. Anybody guess what evil eye would be? It translates. Envy. Uh, there's a little bit of jealousy that is called, uh, it, it, it's, it goes all the way to your heart, and heartburn or a burning stomach, that would be jealousy sometimes. But bowels, what do you suppose the emotion is that affects the bowels? And what is the relationship? It's weird. It is the emotion called compassion. And the idea is this, you, you see something that gets to you. you. You see that person who you know is hungry. And you may have never been hungry in your life all that much, but you feel that you can feel it. You can almost like be there. You can really relate to that by your imagination. So you see something, you feel strongly about it, but it's that's only sympathy. 
That's only a sympathy, and it's important. It's got to be in there. But it, you can leave something at the level of feeling and never do anything about it. You can watch that commercial about abused animals. Have you seen this one, right? These abused animals, and oh, man, it gets to your heart. And what do we do? Melissa says, change the channel. That's what, just quit the channel, right? If you're Brandy Wydick, you run out and get another dog to adopt. If you, you know, or if, you, well, I won't bother Kristen this time, but if you find a dove, you nurse it back to health, and then I don't know what you do with it. You, 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 you do something about it, and when you do something about it, it becomes compassion. Compassion if it does not lead to action, is not compassion, it's mere sympathy. God doesn't ask us to feel, just feel. He asks us to do something about it, and that's when it becomes compassion. So you see Jesus in Matthew chapter 9. This is going to explain some things when it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. He was teaching in the synagogues. He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. Why was he doing this? When he saw the crowds, he saw them. He looks out there and he sees people and he's really looking at their life. And he says, I see them. He had splachna, compassion for them. He felt something because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks out over these people and sees their, the two words, harassed and helpless, that means they're troubled and their troubles aren't being met because they're also helpless. There are no resources available to help them. These people have some real needs that are making them feel troubled, but there are no resources in their environment to meet those needs. Not only are they troubled, but they're helpless because nothing is there to meet their trouble. And Jesus looks down on that and he says, you're like sheep without a shepherd, which triggers something. Probably triggers something in him, but it should for a Jew, and it should for us. I want to take you back to Ezekiel chapter 34. And I think I got one of these verses wrong on here, but here's Ezekiel chapter 34, beginning verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. This is a prophecy, and you'll see in a minute. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, the people I have leading my people. And say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, you're eating all the food, not sharing it with them. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? Is not your job to take care of them? You eat the best stuff. You clothe, your, clothe yourself with the best wool. You slaughter the fat ones. You do not feed the sheep. Notice, the weak you've not strengthened, the sick you've not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, with force and harshness you've ruled them. It's interesting when Peter says, you elders should not rule, you should serve as shepherds. You don't rule and domineer and demand and, and, and with crudeness lead people. They were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, and no one was looking after them. They're just scattered. Now, verse 23, as he concludes this discussion, he says, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them. He will, he will feed them and be their shepherd. It's a prophecy. I'm, gonna, I, I'm tired of leading, leaving my people up to the discrepancies of the unfaithful shepherds. I'm going to bring my own shepherd. It's going to be my own son, 
And he's going to shepherd my people properly. He's going to feed them, and he's going to heal them, and he's going to go look for them, and he's going to give them direction. He's going to do what I expect a shepherd to do. Now, what's interesting, and what makes this a December sermon, is Matthew chapter 2. Here's the prophecy of Micah 5 that Matthew applies to Jesus at his birth. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. From you will come a ruler who will what? Shepherd. My real shepherd's coming. It's Jesus. And so here's Jesus looking out on these crowds. They're lost. They're scattered. They're looking for help. They're looking for direction. They want to know how to please God. They want peace back in their lives, but they don't know how to get it. And no one else is willing to tell them. And here comes Jesus to be the real shepherd. And when he's the most shepherd-like, he gets the most controversy. What are you doing eating with sinners and tax collectors in these houses? He's being a shepherd. He's going to them. And their envisioning is this. They're envisioning Jesus just invites all these sinful people and says, it's okay for you to continue being sinful. Just hang around me, and just by virtue of being here, we'll be good guys and have a good time. Jesus, I'm convinced, when he's around these sinners, he's dishing out helpings of gospel. He's dishing out little servings of, of truth, things that will help them, and it will challenge them. And people don't mind being challenged if it's true and if it heals. And the gospel heals, and the gospel invades, and the gospel does demand change, but it demands change for the sake of making you better. It binds up the brokenhearted, and it gives hope to the hopeless, and it gives peace to those who just can't find it anywhere else. Do you believe that? I'm not sure I do all the time. I think sometimes I think that's too simplistic. It takes more, so I need to send them to a counselor or send them over here. And Jesus seems to think he sees these people harassed and helpless. He feels that plight. He feels it. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And so what does he do? He acts. He acts to meet their need, and he does two things. And the same two things that he does, he tells the disciples to do. And the same two things that Jesus did that he tells the disciples to do is to be our method of operation all these years later. It's these two things. Number one, teach the gospel to people. Go to where they are and teach the gospel. You will do that if you believe the gospel is the answer to their dilemma. Let me ask you this, church, and I want to hear it. Do you believe, and I'm not asking you to, to judge whether somebody's obeyed the gospel or not. I'm asking you this. If there's people out there in the world who have not obeyed the gospel, are they lost? They are lost. And do you believe that the gospel is the way for them to be found? Yes. But here's the weird thing. I think the, great, the, the, the greatest symptoms of a lostness are not spiritual symptoms. And it's very hard to be able to diagnose this spiritual problem with their physical ailment. People are lost, and it shows up in physical ways in their lives, and they would swear the right doctor, the right psychologist, and the right pill would take care of it. And they would swear it because it just seems so physical to them. And I'm telling you this, Isaiah was right. Sin separates us from God, and that separation shows up in so many different ways. And I have the audacity, the church should have the audacity to believe the number one need of our world is a gospel message that saves. 
and heals and binds up and feeds. These are spiritual images, but they're very powerful. And so what does Jesus do when he looks down there and sees these restless people who have no clue what to do, he starts teaching them. And you're like, I want to say, don't you? I want to say, man, they don't want to listen to that until they're fed. They don't want to listen to that until they're healed. They don't want to listen. And what Jesus seems to believe is by listening to it, they will be fed. By listening to it and obeying it, they will be healed. By having it and obeying it and following it and living it, they will have hope and they will have direction. It's not that it leads to something else. It in itself is what they need. But there's a second thing. So he teaches them the gospel. He preaches in the synagogues. But he doesn't just stay there. He goes around. He goes around to their homes, and he dishes it out in little ways in their homes. Don't dump it all on them at one time. Give them the pieces that bear to their circumstance. But there's a second thing. He also heals, and I wish we could do this. I want to t- I, you're going to ask for proof, or somebody is. And I'm going to tell you, I don't have a book, chapter, and verse for this. There's not a verse that comes out and says it. But the age of healing and the miraculous like we see in the Gospels is over. There's nothing equivalent to it in our world right now. The only element that some people claim is still here are the tongues. The tongues somehow are still here, but the healing and the raising of the dead and all that stuff have gone. And I, I don't want to be rude, but I've got to tell you, the, easy, the most easily faked one is the one that still continues. And the ones that really brought attention, the healing and the raising from the dead, they're gone. You just don't see them. And I, I'm left with a quandary with this. Is I, I don't have a book, chapter, verse, so if you come up and say, prove it to me, I can't. Other than I'll say this, the reason miracles existed was to accompany, accompany the message. The message as it was revealed by God is, is confirmed and affirmed by the miracles. Together they were, and now that the message is complete, the miracles are no longer needed that way. And by the end of the New Testament, miracles aren't what we're commanded to do. By the time you get to the pastorals, we're told to do good works. That's what replaces the miracles. It gets the attention of the truth. How do people know we really believe the truth when we do good works, when we deliver meals, when we take sacks? That's not peripheral to our mission. That's part of it. That gets that attention. Now, you're going to come up and say, you don't, you don't believe miracles happen? I believe they do, but I don't believe they do through people like they did in the first century. And if it did, send them to St. Jude's. I don't see anybody doing that stuff. I've prayed, believe it or not, I have prayed for that, not, not for the attention, but for some certain people that I've seen die that I didn't want to. And I'm just telling you, it doesn't work like that, but we still have the good works, and those good works give us credibility to have a room and a place at the table in the discussion to be able to talk about gospel truths that challenge and provide healing. And yet, that's our MO. That's what Jesus did. He teaches, he touches. He teaches, he touches. And he tells the disciples, you teach and you touch. And he tells us, you guys go out and you teach and you touch. And you will do this if you believe the gospel is the key to people Losing that restless spirit. So the mission is see, feel, do. That's compassion. What about us?
The greatest reason today that we lack a sense of fervor reaching out is I don't think we see people and connect their restlessness with a lack of truth. We seem to think it's something else. The things that people are looking for that drive them to all sorts of things is a symptom of the fact that they're disconnected from a creator who can alone give them peace. They're restless, they're frustrated, they're like sheep without a shepherd. They don't know, there's nobody to lead them to the right place, and so they look for the latest guru or the latest YouTube video to tell them this or the latest commercial, and retail therapy is not working. In the Christmas season, we see this at fever pitch. It's not working, and when they get that for Christmas, it's not going to rest that restless part of their soul. It's not going to fix it, and by the new year, they're going to know already that was a fallacy too. And they're medicating themselves with recreational drugs and pornography and alcohol and illicit relationships. And they're trying to calm that restless spirit, right? They look to possessions and they look to sex partners and they look to their jobs and they look to the next election. The next guy who's elected will solve this for me and my angst will disappear. And none of those places do it because they're looking in all the wrong places and you can change your gender and you can try to help find help for your marriage, but it won't fix this. There's only one thing that fixes this. The gospel. That's all. That's the only thing that fixes it. Somebody needs to share it. It just gets more tense and stressed when you try something else. Do you really believe what Paul said? I believe I am not ashamed. I will not apologize and I will not back down and I will not cower and I will not put something over my head because I'm embarrassed and I turn red. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to save and not just save you for eternity one of these days when you die, to save you in this life. In this life. But you've got to do more than just see that in people. You've got to feel their plight. And so when you've got that coworker who's constantly in turmoil about family issues and they're, just, they're downcast and their life just seems out of control and they're spinning on the edge of breakdown and you see them and you see them day after day and you see that consternation in their countenance. Feel it. You know what it would be like. When you're working out with that guy lifting up those incredibly inhumane weights, trying to do enough repetitions to take that, that frustration away, understand it's not in th that to heal. It's not. That waitress who seems just so distracted, it's not that she broke a dish in the kitchen a few minutes ago. It might be she's like a woman at the well who just can't find anything with meaning even though she's looked after guy after guy after guy after guy and she can't seem to find it. Jesus saw them. Do you see them? And when you see them, do you diagnose it properly? And do you feel their lostness? And then, are you going to do anything? Because it's not the compassion of Christ if all you do is see and feel. It's not compassion if it doesn't lead to action. What are you going to do? And no, you don't have to break out your Bible and study Philippians 2 and tell them about bowels. No, that's not what I'm telling you. It's walking up to him saying, I know you've been frazzled lately and I've kind of heard from your phone conversations, things are not going well, but I want you to know I'm praying for you. I prayed for you today and I'm going to continue praying for you. God blesses your life and just little helpings of gospel 
little touches of God you insert in their life. Or like Perry Smith, well, he's so obnoxious. He will have these little cards that have a verse, and he'll just hand it to him. So I've been thinking about you, and this is the verse that, that I want you to have, and I want you to, to just know. Or, or maybe it's when you're working out with that guy and you can see that it's just a turmoil raging in his heart and his mind and you say to him, you know what, i got about 30 minutes after this workout. Let's meet and grab a cup of coffee, just 20 minutes, and I want you to just talk to me. And all I'm going to do is listen. And you're going to say, listening, listening is not work. Guys, I'm married. Listening is a work. Some of the hardest work you'll ever do. Amen? Now those of you who said amen... You're being faithful. Those of you who didn't, were being wise. Just a listening ear. That's not taught in classes, but I'm telling you, that's one of the greatest works you can do for somebody. And then, after you've heard a few times, they may give you the credibility in that conversation to interject something. And when you do, don't dump it all on them at one time. Don't come to the five acts of... You know, five steps of salvation. Don't go into that. Take the application of the gospel that most pertains to that issue they've got and dish it out in small parts. Do something. And you do, and it's compassion. You know why Jesus preached? You know why Jesus healed? It says, because He felt splachna. He had what they needed, and it would be sadistic for him not to share it when he sees them so in turmoil as sheep without a shepherd. And in this world, we're at the top of a hill. We're at the church on the hill. Look down at our community. They're still like sheep without a shepherd. It's the same problem, and it's the same solution, and the same thing that's going to fix it when God's people are so full of compassion that I know what their problem is, and I know what the angst is, and I know what I can do to bring it to bear by the gospel. We need a good, healthy, hearty dose of splachna, compassion as God's people. Jesus had it, and that's why He did what He did and how. At the end of this particular passage in Matthew chapter 9, He says to His disciples, pray, pray that the Lord sends people. And chapter 10 opens up with Him calling those 12 disciples and sending them out. And they were the answer to His prayer. And my question for us is this, are we the answer of His prayer to our generation? Are we going to respond the same way and say, we see how you did it, Jesus. We see that you saw, you felt, and you did. And it motivated from within to fix it. And we can do the same thing because we we know exactly what God knows. He's told us. Are we going to be the answer to the prayer of Jesus for our generation? See, feel, and do. Splachna. Let us show and be about the compassion of Christ in our world. If there's any response you need to make, Jesus is willing to receive you whether it be responding to God in the ways that bring salvation to you, or whether it be solving some of those sins that you've allowed to crop up since then, whatever it is, He will receive you. We know that from His compassion toward His own people. Respond as you need to as we stand and as we sing. Have Thine own way, Lord. Have Thine own way. 
Thou art the potter, I am the clay. 